Good morning. Wow. It was amazing, wasn't it? I almost feel like this scratchy old screechy voice getting up here is just wrong after that. That was amazing. I just kind of wanted to leave the lights off and just sit out there for a while and just just be still, like like we said we wanted to do. My name is Vanita Jones, and I'm part of the teaching team, and it is my pleasure to be here this morning on our very last psalm of the spring season. Doesn't it seem like we just started? I'm having a hard time wrapping my brains around this. That we, seems like we just started in September, and here it is. It's time to have this out of the luncheon. And all those desserts. I saw them coming in. I am so ready. You have to wait 40 minutes to get to the desserts. And I want to see green on everybody's plate before you have desserts. That's what my mom always made me do. First of all, I just want to apologize right up front. About three weeks ago while I was traveling, my prescription glasses were going through the security because for some reason they're very insecure. And the wonderful lead drape thingy decided to pull them out, pop the lens out, break everything, and I traveled the weekend without my prescription glasses. So I have readers on, and I feel like I'm constantly doing this because I'm just not used to them yet. But I have to see them so we can get through this today. So I'm going to be looking over them the whole time at all of you like this, and I know that's kind of odd. But um, anyway, I hope that you enjoyed the Psalms. It's been a really interesting journey for me. I used to just read the Psalms as part of maybe my daily reading. I just read the Psalms with whatever I was studying. I never really took the time to camp on each one of those Psalms and dive into actually what was going on when they were being written and who was writing it. But when I started to do that, I realized these Psalms aren't just fluff. These Psalms are meat and potatoes. These things are deep. Very, very deep. And, and, you know, this week we looked at the beloved Psalm 23. I, I hope everybody had as hard a time as I am saying Psalm 23. It's the 23rd Psalm. But I didn't want to do that. I wanted to say t- Psalm 23 because I think all the Psalms are important. But Psalm 23, I, when I dove into it, I realized there's a lot in these six little verses. And so because of that, we're going to start right off today. I want you to open up your Bibles and go to Psalm 23, and I'm going to just read through it right now, and I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version translation, so I don't know if that's what you have. It may be a little different, but um, we're going to start off by reading this, and then we're going to start breaking it down verse by verse and go through each one of these verses and see what God has planted in there for us. Okay, it's written by David. Now, all the commentaries that I read speculate that it was probably written later in his life after he'd been through quite a few things, that he was able to write this. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are, for you are my... For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, he says, absolutely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now some of you who are really good at memorizing probably just can just say that off the top of your head. And you know, I, I have to be honest. For the most part, for me, the most I'd ever read or even looked at this, I was at a funeral. 
Am I right? I mean, do you really just ever go to Psalm 23 and just read it? I'm usually at a funeral. We've had several in our family in the last three years, and most of them were just blessed elderly people, aunts and uncles, that had just lived these wonderful lives. And it was just a celebration knowing where they were and all the legacy had left behind them. There were a couple that were just really young people. And it really was hard. It was hard. It was difficult. But at every single one of those funerals, the same thing happened. Either someone read Psalm 23, or at the very least, it was printed on something that we were handed for the funeral. And, and it's because it's been used to comfort people for years and years as they're facing death or as they face the death of a loved one. But, you know, I think, personally, there's a lot more to Psalm 23. And I think it's kind of unfortunate that it's only been used mainly with death. Mainly when dealing with death. Because personally, I think it's actually more about living than it is about dying. And I hope that you saw that this week as you looked at it. Psalm 23, to me, is about discovering a way of life that replaces stress and anxiety with trust. And it's a way of living that, that replaces our fear and our doubts with confidence confidence. It's about placing our trust squarely on our shepherd and living this life of confidence, knowing that we're going to be loved and cared for. All of our needs are going to be met. See, we are assured that we have a shepherd who lives to care for us and protect us. These six little verses are so much about living that we should be reading these and reciting them every single day of our lives. It should become our life mission statement, our motto. Because they're describing this life lived in the presence of our shepherd. And when I did the study, uh, some studies about shepherds and sheep, the one thing that rang true to me in all of it is that the presence of the shepherd changed everything. It changed everything in that flock of sheep. I think we should actually call Psalm 23 our life assurance policy. You know, just like we call, we have a life insurance policy and it assures that all the loved ones around us are going to have what they need once we're dead and gone. I think our life assurance policy, Psalm 23, it describes how we're going to be cared for right here while we're still among the living. That's what Psalms 23 does. And I want to start off, we're going to look closely at verse 1 because we start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start, right? Right, right? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You know, it makes sense to me that David would use this shepherd, this shepherd analogy. Because he was one. He was a shepherd way back before he became a king. And because of that, on all accounts, I think David probably knew something about shepherding. I think he was probably a very good shepherd. If he could go up against Goliath, this guy was used to knocking some heads of some wild animals, protecting his sheep, taking care of things. I think he was pretty tough. And I think by all accounts, if he was a shepherd, he probably knew a little bit about sheep. And you know, it's not the only place in the Bible the shepherd metaphor is used when it describes our care by God. It can be found all throughout the Old and New Testament. On your verse sheet, I put some other verses that talk about that very thing. It's in Isaiah 40, verse 11. It says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And John 10, 11, and 14, this is when Jesus, he's saying this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I, again in 14, I am the good shepherd. I know, I know my own and my own know me. 
And in 1 Peter 5, 4, it says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You know, I think it's only fitting that before we dive in and find out what the good shepherd is going to do for us, we should actually learn a little bit about sheep. Because according to Psalm 23, that's what we are. See, if we're willing to say Jesus is our shepherd, then we're actually also willing to say we're sheep. So what does that say about us? And I think that was really important. We needed to know that. I think as beautiful as it is for us to read about comparing God as our shepherd and all of us to his sheep, you know, ladies, it's not really that flattering for us. It really isn't. You know, as it turns out, Sheep aren't like those little fluffy cotton ball covered animals you see in cartoons that we count and they jump over fences and they're cute and fluffy. It's not anything like that. You know, growing up in Kansas on a little farm, I had a little bit of a little bit of idea of what about sheep. Nobody wanted them. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. We had every kind of animal on our farm you can imagine. We spent hours caring for horses, cows, Pigs, chickens, we had cats, dogs. I had a hamster and guinea pigs. My brother had lizards and snakes. We had everything. We never had sheep. And you know why? Even as a kid, I knew this. You were the lowest of the lows if you had sheep on your farm. And there was a reason for that. Because they're divas of the livestock world. They have to be cared for all the time. If they're not moved from place to place, they will absolutely destroy your grasslands. They'll stay in the same spot and eat not just the blades of grass like cows that will move on to another spot and eat. Those sheep will stay right there until they've pulled up the roots and they leave this bare ground that looks kind of like this stage and nothing's going to grow on it. And so the, the shepherds, the, the ranchers, the farmers I grew up with had to come back and replant their grasslands. Nobody wanted sheep. But then I spent a little more time, you know, trying to figure out a little more other than we just didn't want them. There had to be some other reasons. So I did a little more research and I found three things about sheep that, that were very important. First of all, they're pretty much defenseless. The only thing they got going for them is they know how to bolt and run about it. They have no other arsenal, nothing else in their arsenal. If they get the least bit frightened, they just take off running. They'll run off cliffs, they'll run into fences, they'll run into anything, walls, it doesn't matter. They're also helpless. They're virtually helpless animals. You know, like I said, if they're not led from place to place to graze, they'll just keep eating in a place where it becomes bare and then they get malnutritioned and they kind of just get starved to death. They don't They'll just barely wander around. You have to take them to the next place to eat. And they have to be cared for. They have to be cared for by someone that's willing to do this. You know, we've heard about packs of wild animals of all kinds, right? We've heard of wild dogs, herds of wild horses. They're beautiful as they're running through there. Wild hogs. People are just trying to kill them everywhere right now. They're everywhere. Wild feral cats that go through my yard and drop off their fleas as they pass through. There are just herds and, and all these animals, packs that run everywhere. Have you ever heard a flock of wild sheep? <laughs> My guess is no. No, it's because they're divas. They have to be cared for. They have to have somebody watching over them all the time. Someone that really has an invested interest in them. That wants to move them from place to place and take care of all their little bitty needs that seem to come up all the time. So when we're saying the Lord is my shepherd, 
We're actually saying, I'm dependent, I'm helpless, I'm weak, and I'm in need. I've got to have someone take care of me. Now, let's be completely honest with each other here. How comfortable are you with saying, the Lord is my shepherd, and I am the smelly little dependent animal? Wouldn't you much rather say something like, God is my co-pilot? I have a steering wheel. There's God. I got him strapped in. I use him when I need him. Wouldn't you much rather do that than say, I'm the smelly little animal that needs to be taken care of by a shepherd? You know, it turns out there's a reason that God is my co-pilot isn't in the Bible. And that the Lord is my shepherd is in the Bible. See, we really don't want to relinquish all of our control and admit that we're helpless and defenseless and weak and we need care. We want to say God is our co-pilot. See, the Lord is my shepherd is a very bold statement. It shouldn't be taken lightly because it implies that we've relinquished our lives into the care of our shepherd. God's not our co-pilot anymore. He's in charge of everything, every aspect of our lives, not only when we want him there and only when we think we need him. You know, and verse 1 goes on to say, I shall not want. It's another very bold statement by David. You know, someone who, like David, he's been in some pretty dire situations. I think we looked at over the last few weeks that David spent a lot of time in some pretty miserable caves. Amy described those caves to us. They're hot. They're dry, they're remote, he would have been isolated, he would have been scared, hungry, thirsty, all these horrible things. And yet he said, I shall not want. You know, I'm pretty sure Saul and Absalom, the two pursuing him, weren't trying to find him to give him a big bear hug. I think they were looking to kill him. They wanted to snuff David out. He would have been very fearful. But he was still able to say, I shall not want. It makes me think the word want here is actually has a broader meaning than just lacking something. Because I'm pretty sure when he was in those miserable caves, he was lacking a few things. I think I shall not want means to be completely content with the shepherd's care. Completely. To the point that we don't crave or desire anything else except what God provides us. But, you know, we live in this world where we're constantly on the, on the wheel trying to pull in the next worldly possession. And we're trying to find security. We've got, my goodness, we have security systems, security cameras. We have all this trying to be secure all the time. But we're still so insecure. We're still so fearful and needy and unsatisfied. I think it's because we're also so spiritually bankrupt. I think we're pursuing security outside of Christ. And when we do that, we become restless. We become covetous. We're constantly wanting more, trying to fill up this emptiness deep down inside us. See, when we say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, we're making a very bold statement. It's not to be taken lightly. It shouldn't be just fluff in the Bible. We should be asking ourselves, have I truly relinquished control over to my shepherd? And if I have, am I really happy? Am I content there? Does it show on my face that I'm happy with the care he's given me? And then we move on to verse 2. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. You know, in all this research I did about sheep and shepherds, I learned this 
some interesting things about sheep. You know, there are four basic needs that need to be met before they can actually rest, that they'll actually lie down and rest. And the first one is they have to be free of fear. Now, if you remember, I mentioned they're very timid animals, so this is not an easy task for a shepherd. They have to spend a lot of time making sure that their, their sheep are able to rest and free of fear. But one thing I read, of all the things they can do to make that happen, is they have to make their presence known in the flock. Just simply walking among them, reassuring them, the sheep seeing them there, the sheep know that their shepherd's there, and it changes everything. And they don't get startled as easy. They don't bolt off. Remember, they're defenseless. They'll just run off into anything. Because the presence of their shepherd changed everything in the flock. And it's really no different for us. You see, we don't know what lies ahead of us. Each day could be something different. We can face that day with fear. We can be anxious, constantly worrying about what is that next thing that's going to happen. Or we may already know. And it's scaring us to think about it. Or we can live with this quiet confidence that allows us to rest in the care and protection of our good shepherd. But see, nothing is more important than being aware of our shepherd's presence. It changes everything in your lives. Because then we know he's caring for us, he's protecting us, he's going to give us whatever we need. You know, 2 Timothy 1.7 on your verse sheet, it says this. It says, For God gave not a spirit of fear, but he gave power, love, and self-control. Being aware of our good shepherd and knowing that he's near us and he's helping us and he, it helps us to live this life filled with power, love, and self-control. And co instead of constantly living a life of fear and anxiousness and worry. You know, the second thing that the shepherd has to do to make sure his, shop, his sheep are going to lay down and rest is he has to make sure there's no conflict in the flock. What I read is that sheep are very social animals. <clears throat> and because of this, this characteristic basically lends itself to a lot of tension within the flock. They're always pecking orders. The older sheep want to be kind of in, in charge of the, of the group. And the, everybody's got to fall in. And then the, these tensions start. And there's rivalries and competition within the sheep and within the flock. And, and they'll start to butt heads. And they're constantly at odds. Again... It said that the shepherd, to ensure that this wasn't happening, what did he have to do? Simply make his presence known. He just had to be with his sheep and make his presence known. And quickly, all the jockeying for position, all the butting heads, all the, all the problems seemed to kind of fall by the wayside. You know, as Christians, we're called to live in unity. On your verse sheet in Psalms 133.1, it says this about you being united. It says, Behold... All good and, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And then Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 4, 1 through 3, it says this. It says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of spirit and the bond of peace. We've been called to be united. We've been called to unity. Yet, frequently, our own egos, our own self-importance, 
causes us to, to start jockeying for position. And then there's tension and there's conflicts and our pride gets in the way. And we're all jockeying to get in the position and be a little higher than the other. But interestingly enough, the more time we spend in the presence of our shepherd, all of a sudden we start to see who he really is. And it's very humbling when we see that because then we start to see who we really are in light of who he is. And that changes everything. See, true rest comes when we spend more time focused on our shepherd and not on keeping up with the Joneses. Y'all, the Joneses are so overrated. Trust me, I know. I know this. Set your standards higher. This is no place to be. If you truly want to rest, focus on your shepherd and not keeping up with everyone around you. Focus on what he's given you and be thankful for that. Now, the third thing the shepherd needs to know to do for his, his flock is he needs to make sure they don't have any aggravations. And mostly that came in the way of pests. They're notorious for getting all kinds of pests, but one in particular is called the nasal fly. This sounded hideous to me. I learned so much. You, just, you want to learn about sheep, just Google sheep 101. And there is like pages of stuff. Pages. They even have a sheep 102. I know, it's interesting. I didn't get that far. <clears throat> but the nasal fly, it goes up into the nose of the sheep. It lays its eggs. And as they start to the hatch, this sheep will just become so distressed that it will start to stamp its feet. It will start to just shake its head. It will... It'll, make these crazy loud noises, and eventually it'll start slamming its head into trees, into rocks, anything to get this thing out of its head. You know, there are several, she- several steps the shepherd would take to get rid of these, but there was one in particular that was pretty much across the board, and, and this was that the shepherd would come in and he would rub oil all over the sheep's head, especially in the nose area, and that would keep the flies from even getting in there. It would prevent the problem in the first place. See, just like sheep, we too are constantly bombarded with things. We have aggravations, we have annoyances, we have little things that make it difficult for us just to rest in the care of our Savior. Things like technology, things like other people in your lives that could be in your family that just keep needling at us. It could be minor health issues that you just really can't ever get completely comfortable We all have something that's making us want to stamp our feet, that's making us want to shake our heads because we can't believe this is happening, makes us want to say things loud that are ugly, maybe not so pretty, and maybe sometimes you just want to slam your head into a wall because they just make you nuts. Once again, the presence of the shepherd changes everything. Changes everything. Instead of rubbing oil on our heads like the shepherd... Our shepherd, he anoints our heads with oil, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes the presence of my shepherd real in my life. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, we find strength, we find peace, and we find comfort as we face all these little annoyances, all these little frustrations that come up every single day. And the last thing the shepherd has to do for his flock is to make sure they're free from hunger. And that is no easy task either. Because, you know, sheep do more grazing to eat than they actually do lying down to rest. But the well-prepared shepherd, the efficient shepherd, he spends a great deal of time preparing these green pastures and leading them from place to place so they'll have a place to, to eat. 
he'll go ahead of them when they're back at the farm or the ranch, and he'll, he'll have gone out and he'll remove the big stones and he'll make sure there's water and he'll pull up all the poisonous plants. See, our good shepherd's doing the same thing for us. He's diligently working in our lives. He's removing stones of anger. He's taking out the poisonous weeds of bitterness. And he's constantly cultivating our hearts, watering our hearts, so he can plant his word in it, and it can grow in our lives, and we can apply it to everything in our lives. He does this so that we'll be filled. And when we're filled, we can rest. And that's ultimately what he wants us to do, is to rest in his care. You know, David says, he leads me beside still waters. David knew how important water was to his sheep, especially where he would have been. It was very, very dry. He knew that his sheep were going to wander off if they got thirsty. They were going to be looking for water wherever they could get it. But he also knew this. He knew that they couldn't drink from streams that were moving fast. If, remember, they're timid. Fast water scares them too. They're scared of everything. But he would have gone ahead and he would have put rocks down, stones, where the water could pool along the way. And it would be a place for his sheep to go and drink free of fear and anxiety. But he also knew something that all the other shepherds knew. He knew that if he, his best shot at getting them some really good water was to get them up early in the morning and have them graze on the grass that was covered in dew. He knew that if they ate early in the morning, they would get enough water that even if they didn't get to one of those spots that he had prepared ahead of time, they would have had enough water to get them through the stretch of the day. You know, as Christians, we're too prone to wonder, especially if we become thirsty for something. We want to fill up those spaces inside us. We wander into all sorts of things. We wander into, oh, so many things that, that can lead us into danger as well, just like his sheep would do. We drink th some things that seem wonderful. They seem refreshing. They might be abundant, but they can eventually lead us spiritually sick. You know, I think I mentioned my dog, my black lab, Phoenix, before. And I, I mentioned one time that she doesn't like to drink out of her dog bowl. Still don't know why. <clears throat> she still doesn't. But she would go out into the yard and drink out of mud puddles and stagnant water that's standing like in an old bucket or something. She would drink that water and not drink the bottled water I would put in her bowl. Well, last summer we built a pool in the backyard. And everybody was very excited. But let me tell you, he was even more excited. Phoenix. Phoenix was quite sure we had built the most amazing mega-sized dog bowl ever known to man. So she constantly, you let her out to go to the bathroom, she's there, lapping it up, lapping it out of the pool on the shallow end, constantly drinking out of this. And she, you know, she, to her, it seemed harmless. It was good. It was cool, refreshing, very abundant, about 36,000 gallons. Wasn't going to run out. Someone's always out there getting the leaves out of it for her. But a couple months after this happened, started happening, she started getting tummy problems. And we knew that because it translates into bathroom problems. And that was a real problem. So we go to the vet, and the vet said, is she drinking out of a pool? Well, yes. Well, it's clean water. We're swimming in it. And he said, you can't let her do that. The chemicals that she's drinking is tearing up her stomach. To her, this was the most abundant, wonderful water she had ever found. But it was destroying her stomach. It was making her so sick. 
See, when we choose to drink from something other than God's Word, even if it seems good and it seems abundant and it's refreshing and it's nice and cool, if it's not lining up with God's Word, it's going to leave us hungry for more, thirsty for more, and spiritually sick. No matter what happens, we have to be drinking from God's Word. You know, I think it's interesting that it's pointed out that early in the morning, he took him out. Early in the morning. You know, God's provided his word for us. If we get up early in the morning and feed on his word, we're refreshed. Trying to quench our thirst with anything other than God's word, it leaves us unsatisfied. We're going to keep looking for something else through our day that's going to fill us up. When you drink of the waters he provides you first thing in the morning, you're going to be able to face your day with confidence no matter what comes up. You're ready for it. Now verse 3 says, he restores my soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now as I mentioned before, sheep are prone to wander. And the shepherd frequently has to go off, find them and bring them and restore them back to the flock. But there's another way that sheep have to be restored. And I had absolutely no idea this could happen. If sheep lie down and try to turn over, they frequently get stuck. I know. Imagine that, what that looks like. It's kind of like the help I've fallen, I can't get up in the sheep world. But it's called casting. They get cast down. And what happens is they get stuck on their backs, and because of the way they are and the way they're built, they can't get up. And so if they're there for very long, the blood supply is cut off to their legs. I know, it's crazy. They can't get up. And so the shepherd has to go out there and find these sheep that become cast down and get them up because they will eventually die if they're left out there. I had no idea. No idea that could happen. You know, there are times that we've fallen. We're all going to fall. Sometimes those falls are going to be for just a few moments. Sometimes those falls are going to last many, many years. Maybe you've already experienced that fall. That's lasted many, many years. You know, the Bible tells us this is going to happen on your verse sheet. Isaiah 53, 6, it says this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. In Proverbs 14, 12, we we see this. It says, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. And then in Paul's warning to the Christians at Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, it says, therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands... Take heed lest he fall. We're going to fall. All of us. No matter how close you're walking to your shepherd, you're going to fall sometime, and you're going to wander away from the flock, and you might even get cast down for a while. Will you have a really hard time getting up? But you know, our shepherd desires more than anything. He desires nothing more than to rescue and restore us to the flock. We can rest assured that if we fall down and we become cast down, that our shepherd is going to come looking for us. And he's not going to quit until he finds you and he sets you back upright. And then it says, after he sets us upright, it says, he leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, sheep have really, really poor vision. They can only see, like me, about 10 feet. I can actually see, actually 10 feet out. They can only see about 10 to 15 feet in front of them which is another really good reason the shepherd has to stay really close to them. They can't see well at all. And for this very reason, they tend to get timid. They're timid. When they're timid, they tend to startle quickly because they can't see what's going on around them. See, we have to keep our shepherd in close range as well. 
Because we can't see very far into our future, but you know our shepherd can. And even if we don't know what lies ahead, we can be assured that he is guiding our steps. You know, when sheep, because of this vision, they tend to stay on the same path over and over and over because they know it. And if they do get startled and they step off that path, they have a really hard time finding that path again. You know, I once read a, something that said long-term vision is nothing without short-term direction. Saying that every journey is made by taking individual steps day in and day out. And those steps have to be guided by our shepherd or else we'll step off onto the wrong path. We don't always know the right steps to take, but he always knows. He always knows. And his word offers correction as well as direction for every single step you're going to take. Without our shepherd leading us, we're just like aimless dreamers. We're wandering like sheep. We have great intentions. We have great ideas. And then, without our shepherd, those ideas take us right off the path. Right off the path that he wants us to be on. We have to seek God's guidance daily. We have to humble ourselves in the presence of our shepherd, so we can be corrected and we can be directed. Then he's able to use us in his kingdom. Then he's able to do what he says, lead us on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His name will be glorified through our lives. You know, as we move on to this next verse, I bet everyone has heard this verse more than any of the other ones in, in Psalm 23. It's verse 4. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We've all heard this. It's probably the most common one ever. You know, David knew that during the year, he would eventually have to take his sheep from where he had been grazing them. It was going to get hot, dry. He was going to run out of grasslands. He was going to have to take them up into higher lands where it was cooler. There was going to be abundant grass. And he also knows that this journey from the lowlands, grasslands, up to the highland grasslands it's kind of treacherous. They would have to walk through some, some mountain areas, and there would be wild animals. There would be storms. It was steep. It was, it was hard. It was going to be very hard. But he also knew it was necessary for the well-being of his sheep that they pass through these valleys to get up to these highlands where they're going to be able to eat on every type of plant life they could ever imagine having. It's where everything was abundant. You notice he didn't say, I might walk through some valleys. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. See, the dangers on the way up to those highland mountain pastures were inevitable. The dark times were going to happen, and he knew that. And I find great comfort in the fact that he says he walks through them. Because that tells me David's not expecting to get stuck in them either. And he's, he knows that his shepherd's walking right through there as well. And he knows that when he takes his sheep through these dark valleys, those sheep are going to have to tuck in really tight to his side and they're going to have to listen to his voice. Because that's where they're going to be safe, right there by his side. Not just sometimes, they're going to have to be tucked into his side minute by minute, day and night, listening to his voice during those dark times. You know, we're all going to walk through some dark times. We're going to be faced with dangerous, scary, scary situations. But remember, our good shepherd already knows this. 
He already knows these things are going to happen. And he's going to walk through it with us. And remember when we're walking with our shepherd, these dark valleys, they always take take us to higher grounds where everything's abundant. Because remember, the presence of our shepherd through these dark times changes everything. Now, I find it interesting up into this verse. David has been talking in generalizations about the great care of the shepherd for his sheep. And he says he when he talks about the shepherd. But when we get to this point where he knows he's going to go through dark times, it becomes more personal. He starts to say I when he talks about himself and you when he talks about his shepherd. See, as we walk through these valleys, it's important. It's important that we tie into our shepherd's side. And we listen closely to his voice. It's yet another reason we should be spending time in God's word all the time. So when we come to these dark valleys, we can hear his voice. And it's a habit for us to be in his word. We may not always understand why we're going to pass through these valleys or why we had to pass through the valleys. But we can be assured that if we're tucked into his side and we listen to his voice, he's going to lead us through that valley and it's going to take us to higher ground. You know, I read something really interesting about shadows. It's written by Rick Warren. You may know him. He's the pastor and author of Purpose Driven Life. He had three things to say about shadows. The first thing he said is that shadows are always bigger than reality. You know, I'm 5'5". My shadow will always be at least six foot or bigger. He's saying that our fear of the problem is, is actually probably more than the actual problem itself. And he says this, he says, shadows are always, shadows can't hurt you. He says the shadow of the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. He didn't say, I'd much rather be hit by a shadow of a truck than actually hit by the truck. Wouldn't you? He says the shadow of death. And then the third thing is, there can be no shadows without light. There's a shadow, there's light coming from somewhere. Focus on that light. Focus on the light of your Savior when you're going through those dark times. And, it, and those scary shadows won't be as scary as they have been in the past. You know, the second half of this verse tells us exactly what the shepherd's going to use when he guides through those dark valleys. He's going to use his rod and his staff. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, the shepherd of David's day really had only had two things in an arsenal. There was a rod and his staff. The rod was kind of a thick, heavy stick with a big kind of club end on it, and it was used to protect from wild animals, and it would be used a little more aggressively against a sheep if they were trying to, you know, if they were jockeying for that position or having a conflict, he might go up and give them a little knock. It's kind of the head knocker. He knocked heads with the rod. The staff, on the other hand, which, by the way, is unique to only to shepherds, they spend a lot of time crafting their staff just for themselves. You know, if you see somebody leaning on a staff, they're probably not a chef. They're probably not a cabbie. They're probably a shepherd because it's unique to a shepherd. And the staff was used in a more gentle way. Staff was used to kind of correct, and it would kind of calm the sheep down. He would count his sheep, and, and if they were getting a little restless, he would run it over their backs or on their sides to kind of calm them down. You know, I read a lot of commentaries that compared the rod, the one that was used for head knocking, that the rod was actually supposed to signify the Word of God. You know, and it made sense to me, because in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and in righteousness. 
And the staff, it said, that shepherd used was to guide and comfort a sheep. They compared it to the Holy Spirit. This also made sense to me because then I read in John 16, 13, Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit's addressed in Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So how do we tuck in close to our Savior? How do we listen to his voice when we go through those dark valleys? We use what he's given us. Our shepherd gives us his word, and he gives us his Holy Spirit to guide and comfort us as we pass through those dark valleys. We read his word, we spend time in prayer, and we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and to comfort us. That's how we tuck in close. That's how we listen to his voice. In verse 5 we read, it says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Okay, now these sheep, they've passed through that dark valley. Guess where they are? They're in those highlands and the grass is abundant. It is wonderful. And the shepherd, the shepherd has already mapped all this out for them. He knows exactly where he's taken them. And it's going to be awesome. It's the highlands. Now, everything I read said that a good shepherd would have already gone ahead. He would have checked all this out. And these places were called mesas, the tabletops. It's the Spanish word for mesa. Isn't that neat? Table. He was taking them, preparing their table for them in, in front of their enemies. See, according to all the commentaries, I said these mesas, these tablelands, were high up and they were remote. They had abundant grass, and every good shepherd knew that he had to find a place like that to take his sheep. Later in the summer, it was going to be hot. They were going to run out of grass down here. He would have already gone up there, pulled the bad weeds, moved the rocks, found the water, and scoped out any of the wild animals that were going to give them any trouble. These sheep were in for a banquet. This was going to be not like eating airline food. This is going to be something. They're going to be noshing on some of the best vegetation, the most abundant vegetation they had ever had. And it came at the perfect time because they had just come through this valley. And now they were in the higher grounds. And they were going to be able to do all this grazing free from fear and anxiety of their enemies because their shepherd was going to be watching over them, protecting them from coming easy prey to all their enemies surrounding them. Our shepherd has prepared our table as well. <clears throat> you know, I read a quote by W. Philip Keller that says this about verse 5. He says, The Christian walk can become a mountaintop experience, a tableland trip, so to speak, simply because we are in the care and control of Christ, who has been all over this territory before us. And he's prepared the table for us in the plain, enemy of our, plain view of our enemies who would only demoralize and destroy us if they could. See, Christ, our shepherd, he's already gone before us. He's been in every situation we can ever encounter. He was fully man. He was fully God. He was tempted. He was tried. In every single area of life, he had struggles. He had sorrow. He had all of it. He's been there. He's done that. And bought the T-shirt. He's done it. And he's, he knows exactly what's coming in all of our lives. 
he has gone ahead and prepared your table. And then it says, you anoint my head with oil. Remember I told you that the shepherd would put oil on the heads of the, of the, um, the sheep and it would keep the flies away? Well, these highlands were notorious for flies. The flies liked the abundance too. So the shepherd knew that he'd have to apply oil to their heads to assure that they wouldn't be bothered by these pesky flies. So between grazing on abundant vegetation, free from fear and of their enemies, free and not worried about the annoyances of frustrations in our life, these, shop, these sheep were living in tall cotton. It was wonderful, wonderful time for them. Their needs had been met. They were completely relaxed and resting in the care of their shepherd. They had learned to trust him because they, he was continuously caring for them, protecting them, and meeting all their needs. So much so, he says, his cup is overflowing. I love that part. That's my favorite part of this whole thing. You know, there's a verse, there's a, a saying written in the front of my Bible, and it says this. It says, I, it says, I'm drinking from my saucer because my cup's overflowing. I love that. It's the perfect picture of these sheep in the highlands that have passed through the dark valleys, and now they're, they're living in abundance with their shepherd. Our shepherd is so generous. He is so generous. He is and especially generous for things in life that make our lives worthwhile. You know, he gives us love. He gives us mercy, compassion, forgiveness, joy, happiness. He gives us all these things that he wants us that makes our life abundant. You know, in John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus says this, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly." I think it brings a smile to our shepherd's face when he sees his sheep resting in his care, happy in his care, content in his care. The last verse is yet another very bold statement by David. He says, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, until I really started studying this, I really just assumed that that only meant about his care at that point and then him dwelling with God in eternity. But as I started studying a little more, I came across another meaning that was really, really interesting to me. <clears throat> you know, recall, if you recall, I mentioned earlier that sheep, if they're not well managed, they destroy, destroy abundant grasslands. But what I didn't mention is that on the flip side, a well-managed flock one where the shepherd has spent a great deal of time caring for his sheep, they can be very beneficial to the pasture lands. In fact, even more than cows, horses, any other livestock, if they're managed well. In fact, in the ancient recordings, the sheep are referred to as those of golden hooves because they left behind such fertile soil behind them. In a sense, where a well-cared flock of sheep had grazed, Goodness and mercy were sure to follow them because they left behind fertile soil. So I believe that David wasn't only making a bold statement about him being cared, by, cared for by his shepherd throughout the course of his life. I think he's also saying that under the care of the shepherd, we're going to leave a legacy of goodness and mercy behind us. We're going to leave fertile soil behind us. That's a bold statement. That should not be taken lightly. We need to ask ourselves, are we leaving behind fertile soil for others to be blessed? Or am I like a poorly managed flock of sheep 
Am I destroying everything in my path? Am I leaving behind bitterness, unforgiveness? Am I showing others that I'm content and I'm happy with the care of my shepherd? What are others seeing? What am I leaving behind? Under the care of the shepherd, we're going to leave the legacy that not only blesses us, it's going to bless others as well. Because under the care of the shepherd, we're less prone to wander away. And sometimes when we wander, we stumble. And sometimes when we wander and stumble, we cause other people to stumble as well. What kind of legacy are we leaving behind? You know, the sheep that can boldly declare, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, it's a sheep that's been so well cared for that she has no desire to wander away from her shepherd. She is so utterly content with her shepherd's care that she can't imagine living any other way but the way he's provided for her. And I really want you to know this. You don't have to wait to eternity to dwell in the house of the Lord. You don't have to wait to get to eternity to live this abundant, victorious, joyful, content life. Well, you can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because it's absolutely possible to live that life right here in the middle of crazy town. No matter where your little place is in crazy town, it is absolutely possible to live content, joyful, victorious, abundant life. Because, ladies, the, the presence of our shepherd changes everything. Please pray with me. Father, we just, we love you. We, we love your word. We love that you gave us these six little verses that we can just hang on to as our life assurance policy, God. Father, you tell us you're going to care for us. You're going to feed us. You're going to meet our needs. And we trust that you will do that, Lord. I pray that as we go out into this summer, that we would be women in the word. That we would be grazing on your word every morning. We would be refreshed throughout the day. And when we meet those dark times, Father, that you would just remind us to tuck in close and listen to your voice because you got this. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Christ's name.